Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. There's a day coming where you're going to see him face to face. Like you're going to stare and with your eyes you'll see what your heart has always known. And you'll be looking into the face of Jesus. And in that moment, I honestly believe, it talks about, you know, he'll wipe away every tear. I believe the tears will be when we look and we see the beauty of Jesus. And then we compare that to anything less than him that we ever chose. And I think it just will cause us just to weep as we look and we see the beauty of him. And, and then he'll dry our tears and because he's good and he loves us and he doesn't want us to live in sorrow and regret. But man, what an amazing thing to get there and to have as few tears as possible because we said yes to Jesus and we chose him every time. Because we see his value and his worth now. Um, I, uh, I have a friend here today and I, I'm going to tell you who he is and, and I, mean, I, I asked him earlier if he'd come up and pray for our, our church family, but I told him, I said, people would be wondering whose strange head is in the front row all service if I don't do this. So <laughs> um, come up here real quick, Jeff. Um, this is Jeff Lyle, him and his wife, Amy, uh, and their children are here. And, and yeah, you can give him a hand. He's <laughs> Jeff pastors a church in Atlanta, Newbridge Church, that's also uh, partnered with IHOP Atlanta. And uh, we've known each other for quite a while. And I went down and spoke at their church recently and I really got to know him and Amy and, and, the, and, and the, the people down there and just had a great time with them. It was the place I came back from and I told you guys, I felt like something that I didn't know was broken was mended during that trip and just experiencing just genuine brotherly love with no strings and no agenda and just to encourage each other and love each other. And, and so Jeff's the, the, the man who was behind what God was doing. So I asked him if he would just, just bless our church family and pray over us. So yeah, if you guys just want to get ready to receive. It's good to be here with you today. It's good to be in Greenville. I'm going to read two verses, and I'm preaching to just one fellow named Luis. And these are two verses I got on the way out. Uh, the first one is just a statement back over I think Roy, Patty, and Luis, but I'll talk to the whole church. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 16.9, and I believe this applies to you guys in Greenville. It's a wide door for effective ministry is open to me, although there are many adversaries. I believe that is a statement of fact, and here's the calling. Yeah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. Mm -hmm. We thank you for constantly revealing the depths of your beauty. Mm -hmm. You're more to us this morning than you were when we went to bed last night. Yeah. We just love the fact that you never stop revealing more and more reasons why mm -hmm. we should praise you. Yeah. Pray for Roy Lewis. Pray for Patty. Pray for the leadership team. Father, my heart wells up with gratitude in what you're doing thank you, Lord, that this city is filled with enough religious and rebellious people for there to always be an effective door for ministry open. Mm. Go hard after the religious, Lord, in the city of Greenville. Go hard after the rebellious in the city of Greenville. Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak the blessing that that open door that is currently wide open will be taken completely off the hinges, that mm. in this church yes, there will be a constant stream of Jesus-hearted people that will move in and out of the byways of Greenville yes, and loving God. people. Speaking the yes, truth God. in love. And God, I'm asking you, I'm hearing this right now, Lord, 
that if you will enlarge the garment of your humility, he will deepen his vial of oil. Mm. So, Father, I'm praying that the garment of humility that is already wrapped around this man, this church, I'm asking you, Lord, let it ever grow. As you grow them, let the humility continue yes, to God. deepen and grow. And, Father, pour out the oil. There'll be no lacking in the white robe, Lord. Therefore, we expect reverently, God, that there'll be no lacking in the oil. Yes, so Lord. strengthen, sustain, Jesus. prosper, bless in stupefying ways, Lord. Let it be, as they said in the New Testament, we've never seen it on this fashion. Lord, that you would do such a great work through Outreach Church in the city of Greenville. Yes. That literally the name of Jesus would be made currently from this piece of property and then the one to come in the future. In Jesus' awesome yes. name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, God. All right, well, our prayer team's coming up front if you need prayer for anything. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Um, I'm thankful for what God's doing in, in that um, last Sunday night we had a gathering in Greenville at, at First Pres, and there was like seven different church pastors there and, and a bunch of different church families there, and we gathered just to worship and to pray together over the city, and honestly, like, it didn't feel like we were doing this because we should, because while we should be unified, it felt like it was an overflow of the love that we have for each other, for the body of Christ, and for the city of Greenville. And it was just, a, it was rather than trying to come together to cause that, it felt like the cause was the love and the effect was wanting to gather and be unified with each other. And it was really incredible. And, and I look forward to more and more of that as, as you know, like if every church in, ev in, in Greenville was full right now, we wouldn't even be able to fit a tenth of the population of Greenville. Like, we're not in competition with each other. We're in competition with the one who's already defeated. So really, we have no competition. We just have an open door in front of us, and we have to step through it. And so, um, open your Bibles up. I have a, uh, a word this morning that I really feel is, is, is timely for a lot of us in this church and, 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 and with, with where we're at as a, as a church family, too. But um, to Genesis chapter 15, um, We've been talking for the past three, four weeks, kind of in the same general direction, and, and talking about the Lord taking the children of Israel out of, out of uh, Egypt, and, and first through the wilderness, and then into the promised land, and kind of a lot of the things that went along with that. But um, this is something I actually was reading along those lines, and there were some things that really struck me from this. So I want to talk about those first, and then I'll get to the other stuff if I, if I have a chance to. Um, chapter 15, verse 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given, me, given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that as we, as we read your word and we study and we consume your word, God, that it consumes us. Father, that, 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 that it searches our hearts, God, and, and that, that we would allow our minds to be moldable and soft in the, in the, the grip of your word. Father, that, that as we hear your word, if it confronts us, that we would allow it to confront us. God, if we hear your word and it challenges us, we would allow it to challenge us. 
God, that we would keep your word as, as truth, God, and we would make everything else adjust and conform to it. I thank you for that. I thank you for opening our ears to hear what you have to say and our hearts to receive it. God, that, that our, our, our hearts would be good soil. God, that the seed of your word would go into our hearts. God, that it would produce fruit, that a world that doesn't know you, God, that the city of Greenville would taste the fruit of our lives that you're producing and see that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was thinking about that line, I've, I've, I have lived in the goodness of God when we were singing that. It destroys me every time because like, it's not I've visited the goodness of God, I've seen the goodness of God, I've experienced the goodness of God. I have lived in his goodness. It's not a place I come and go from. I don't leave his goodness somewhere and go other. I've lived in his goodness. And, and, and just the amazing thing that like, that's not my idea, that was his. Like, he desires for me to live inside of his goodness. It's, it just, it blows my mind, and uh, in, in the best way. But, so I was reading this verse, and what, uh, these verses, and what really stuck out to me was, that, first of all, Abram doesn't think like we do, because, I, or, or he doesn't think like me, and some of the people at the early service, anyway. It, because if the Lord, now think about this, the Lord, the word of the Lord comes in a vision, so you're hearing and you're seeing the Lord, and it, he comes to you and he says, I am your shield. First he says, don't be afraid. Why? Because when the presence of God comes, like it should do something to us. It's not a casual thing. Abraham wasn't like, oh, what's up, God? It's you again. Like it's not a light, casual thing. It's like the, the presence of the Lord, the, the one who speaks and the son comes out of his mouth, steps into the tent in a, in a vision and begins to speak to Abram. And, and, he, and he says to him, don't be afraid. Why? Because Abram's terrified. You, you and I would be terrified if we had this same kind of experience. And he says to him, don't be afraid. But then he says, I am your shield. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, the way you are afraid right now is not for you. That's why he said, don't be afraid. And he says, I'm your shield. What's he saying? I want to be a terror to the people who would come against you in the way that I terrified you when I first came into the room. Like, the way that you saw me is the way your enemies will see me, and they'll be filled with fear. I'll be your shield. I want you to have a fear of me, but I don't want it to be a terror that pushes you away. I want it to be something that draws you into me, and you recognize that, that I am the safest place that you could be. But then he says this. He says, and great is your reward. If I'm Abram, my first question is, what's my reward? I'm being serious. Like, if the Lord shows up in my room and says, I'm going to give you a great reward, the first thing I'm thinking is, well, what's my reward? What is it? What does it look like? What are you going to bless me with? Not in a greedy way, but like if God speaks and says, I'm going to give you a great reward, I'm like, what do you call a great reward, Lord? Because I've seen what you call good, and it looks way better than my idea of great. So when you come and you say a great reward, that makes me go, what are you talking about? But Abram doesn't. The first response Abram has is this. Well, what am I going to do with it? I don't have anyone to give it to. Abram has this idea that, God, if you're going to give me something, it can't just be for me. It has to be something that I can pass to other people. If stewarding your reward looks like it doesn't die with me when I die, but that it actually gets passed to other people. And so how are you going to bless me, God, when I don't have anybody I could give it to? 
He doesn't think like we do. I think it would be good for us to adjust our thinking to where when we see the blessing of the Lord, our first thought is, who can I give this to? Who can I pass this on to? Who can this be a blessing to beyond just me? Like, I don't want to walk around in the freedom of Christ and the knowledge I have of the gospel and being a new creation and just enjoy that while other people are going to hell around me. I want to think, God, you're blessing me with this. Who can I give this to? And not just one time, like it's a continual thing because he's continually pouring himself out, meaning I continually need to be finding who can I give this to. When I get revelation from him, one of the first things I do is I find Patty or I call Zach or Dylan or somebody and I'm like, I got to give this to somebody. I'm going to preach it at some point, but right now I have to give this away. Like it's too good to just keep to myself. I have to share this. I start the other day when I, when I got this revelation right here, I was jumping like this. I was. I was in my sauna, and I was weeping, and I was like, God, you're so good because you continually just reveal yourself to me. And, and so I, I just, the first, uh, this is not even, wasn't even supposed to be part of the message, but I feel like there's something for this that he has for us as a family to start asking ourselves, what am I doing with the blessing of the Lord on my life? Like, am I just enjoying it and saying thank you? Or am I blessed, and then because of that, others are blessed through me? See, because when God first came to Abram in chapter 12, he said, I'm going to bless you, and all the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram has this idea, okay, the blessing of the Lord on my life is for me, but it's also to flow through me. And I have to find somebody to give this to. But then he is like us. Because the next thing he starts to do is to educate the Lord. He does. He starts going, God, let me explain to you why what you're saying can't work. He says, how will you bless me? I don't have anybody to give it to. And a man who is born of my servant in my home is to be my heir. He's saying, "Um, God, so that's cute. And I appreciate that. And, and listen, like, you're amazing. But there's this thing in our culture where if I don't have a child, then the first male child that's born in my home actually becomes the heir of everything that I'm given. So honestly, like, I don't even know that you sh- could bless me because even if you do bless me, I have to give it to a, a person from a strange land that's born into my home to one of my servants. Think about what God must think when he comes to us and says something to us. And the first thing we can do is start to educate him. Like, the, the audacity that we have. Like, the Lord must think to himself, oh, listen to them. But here's why. Look where Abraham is when the Lord comes and speaks to him. He's in a tent. He's inside of a framework built by human hands. And he takes the word of the Lord and he has it inside this human framework, this tent, this structure, this logic, this reasoning, the way of the world, the wisdom of the world, the traditions of man, all that stuff. And he, so he drags the promise of God. God comes to him and says, I'm going to give you a great reward. Gives him just this amazing promise. And Abraham takes that promise and he drags it into his tent and he brings it into that place of human understanding. And then he says, God, thank you for this. But when, you take my, when I take this promise and I hold it 
it up inside this framework, it actually doesn't make any sense, and I don't think you can do it because there's things that are going on that maybe you don't understand that would keep your word from ever coming to be in my life. We do this. We hear the word of the Lord, and then we drag it over inside of our little tent, our little human framework that we've built, and the traditions that the world has established, and worldly wisdom and reasoning, and all we can see is inside that tent. That's it. And so when we're, when we're inside of that place, we take the promise of God, we drag it into there, and then we make that promise fit within the framework that we've built and our own understanding. And we educate God why it can't, and we decide that it's not possible, and we start to give the reasons. But the disciples did this. Jesus says to them, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, they really don't care too much about the people. It says that they were tired. They want to send the people away. So they come to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that when you want to do something that you know isn't totally right, you'll try to find a religious good way to do it? They come to him and they say, Jesus, the people are tired. Not, not us. We would stay here and minister all night. You know that. But the people, they're tired. They're hungry. It's getting late. We should send them away. Like, don't dress your dysfunction up and place it on other people. Don't take the, 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 the lack of energy, the lack of desire, the lack of effort that you're willing to put into something and place it on other people and think that presenting that to God is going to make him look at you and go, well done. Well done. Because Jesus doesn't. He says, well then you feed them. Serves it right back to them. And look at what the first thing they do. They begin to try to educate the Lord as to why what he's saying can't happen. But it's late. Where would we get enough bread? How would we feed all of them? You feed them. That's cute. And Jesus, I, I appreciate your heart. But there's some things that if you knew, you would understand why what you're saying can't happen. So let me educate you, King of Glory, and tell you why what you're saying isn't possible because of what I don't have or what I don't see. And I feel like the Lord has been challenging me with this over and over and over again lately of what have I spoke to you? What have I promised you? What have I put in your heart? What words have been given to you that you have let die inside the framework of a natural tent because there were reasons in the natural that you couldn't see it. And so instead of stepping outside and stepping up away from, what you were, from that framework, you've actually stayed there and let that thing die. And look what, Jesus, look what the Lord says to Abram. So he sees that Abram doesn't believe it. He sees that Abram is unsure of why. And he's inside this tent. And all he can see is the ceiling of the tent. And he, all he can see is the reasons within human framework why it won't work. And so the Lord says to this. He took him outside and said, now look. He takes him outside of that human framework. He takes him outside of that tent built with human hands and human reasoning and human wisdom. He takes him away from that excuse of not having an heir. He takes him outside of there and he says, okay, now look. And when Abram, Abram looks, he's looking up and God says, I want to do something in your life. 
But you will never be able to believe it as long as you stay within that framework of human reasoning, human understanding, and traditions of this world. You have to step outside of there and into my world. You've tried to drag my promise into your understanding, and it doesn't work there. It never will. What does Baal have to do with God? What does light have to do with darkness? What does the world have to do with the kingdom? And you're trying to make something supernatural make sense in a natural way, and it will never work there. So I want to take you outside of that. I want to bring you into my world, and I want you to look again. And I feel like this is what the Lord is saying to us as a house is there are things that I've spoke that you've looked around and gave me all the reasons why you couldn't. And I'm sick of hearing the reasons that you can't. I'm tired of hearing what you don't have. I'm tired of hearing the way it's always been done. I'm tired of you trying to educate me as if you know something that I don't about the words that I've spoke to you. Step outside of that. Leave that behind. Step out here. Now look. And what does he have him look at? He has him look up into the stars. And what is he saying? He says, count them if you can. He's not asking Abram. Do you think Abram at that moment went one, two, three, four, five? No. He's saying, Abram, look at the stars. Where did they come from? I spoke into nothing. And everything that you see that you can't even count came to exist. Why would you doubt when I speak into something? that I can't make the same thing happen. You believe, it says by faith, we believe that he framed the worlds with his, with his word. You believe, Abram, that when I spoke, all of those stars came into existence, that when I spoke, the sun came roaring from my mouth, that when I spoke, the moon came to be. You believe that there was nothing, and into that nothing, nothing more than my voice came, and all this came to be. And now when I come with the same voice that, 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 that created the sun and the moon and the stars and everything you see, that same breath is speaking to you, and, and I'm speaking on something it's not like there was nothing there. There was something there. They had, you know, Abram thought she was too old and he was too old and they had all these reasons why it wouldn't work. But at least there was something. He's saying, Abram, if you can believe that I speak into nothing and create all this, why would you doubt when I speak into you that I can do the thing that I've promised? Because you can't see it as long as you're inside that little tent that you've constructed that consists of your own reasoning, your own understanding, and worldly traditions that are created by men. And you think that those things are capable of stopping me? Come on out here. And I honestly feel like that's a challenge for a bunch of us in this room. God is saying, step out here. Leave those excuses. Leave that reasoning and that understanding and come out here where I am and all you have is my word and look again. What do you see now? Now what do you see? And I, 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 when, I, when I felt this and heard this, I'm like, this is not, like, like this is something that he's been showing me for a long time. Because to be honest with you, we, we do, we, ne- we need a new building. Like, you know, bless the neighbors next door for letting us use seven of their rooms so that we have enough room for all of our kids. But like today, everyone has to walk through the mud and the rain to go get their kids and pick them up and drop them off. And I'm not complaining. It's better than us not having that room and having to do eight services so that we have room for all of our kids. 
right? But I am saying this, like it's not long-term tenable for us to continue to grow and continue to rely on that. We, we do need a bigger building where we can have more of us together and where it suits the needs of our, of our church family and we can actually do the things that we feel like God's put in our heart to do that we can't do in this building. And so while I am super thankful for this and we're going to steward this as well as we can for as long as we have it, hear me say that, like this is not me looking down on what God has blessed us with because this building is a blessing of the Lord. Yeah. And so there's nothing in our hearts that despises this. We actually love and we're thankful for this, but we also feel like the Lord has spoke to us. Even through a prophetic word that came from Bob Hazlett where he said, the Lord says to dream big. He wants to build you a house and to dream big because it's not your dream, it's his dream for your family. And, and I believe that, but I'll be honest with you, when I start seeing the drawings come together and I start hearing the numbers start to get projected, I start wanting to go back into that little tent and start telling the Lord why there's all these reasons that what he has spoke couldn't be because, and I have all my reasons and I have this, and, and my, 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 my ability to see is so limited by the framework of, of my little tent that I want to drag his word into and make it make sense. And he's calling me and I feel like this, he's been challenging me. Would you step away from that and just come out here with me where all you have is me and my word? Leave the tent. Leave your excuses, leave the traditions, leave the things that you don't understand, leave all that there, step out here into my world and look around and see if you don't see things a little bit differently. And all of a sudden, I'm like, Lord, I, I, I believe that. I could see it, not because I can understand it, not because in the tent I came up with something, but because when I stepped away from the tent and it's just me and you and I'm hearing your voice, I'm going, wait a minute, you and the cattle on a thousand hills. Wait a minute, you said that you would supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Wait a minute, you said that you would build your house. Wait a minute, you said that I don't have to figure this out. I just have to be obedient to the part that I know and you'll do the part that I can't. And all of a sudden, faith starts to rise up in me because I'm not inside the tent with a limited view. I'm standing out where he is and I look out into the universe and all I can see is his creation and his power on display for as far as my eye can see. And then I start thinking, is anything too big for the Lord? And that's where he's calling us to. I'm telling you. Don't give up on that relationship just because what you come up with in the tent doesn't make it make sense. Don't give up on the business or the dream or the, or the child or the parent or whatever it is that you feel like God has spoke to you about and you have a word about. Don't give up on that just because it doesn't make sense in the tent. Leave that stuff in the tent. Step outside to where he is. Take his voice. Look up into the heavens and look again and see if it doesn't start to seem a little bit more feasible when you look up and realize by his voice, by his breath, by his word, he holds all of this together and that same voice breathed on me. Not for my glory, but for his. And so, there's two things that we need to keep in mind when we start to see the promise and we actually start to believe it. Because there's two dangers, I believe, and they're kind of polar opposites, and sometimes we lean more towards one and sometimes towards the other, and God's in the middle, I believe. But the first one is what I, I call Hagar syndrome. I came up with that myself, so be impressed. <laughs> The Hagger Syndrome. It sounds like a disease or, or like a Michael Crichton best-selling thriller or something. The Hagar Syndrome, you know? But, but really, it's the Hagar Syndrome, and it's this. It, it's, it's turned up to Genesis. Just flip one, one chapter forward, Genesis 16. You see that, that, that God has this conversation with Abram. He takes Abram outside of the tent. He shows him. He says, you know, you, you step into my world and hear my voice. And so now you can see that Abram's, Abram's starting to believe this, and 
and in Genesis 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. You, you ever notice that whenever you make a judgment towards the Lord, the thing that that judgment leads you towards is never good? She's made a judgment in her heart that it's his fault that I haven't had any children. When you make a judgment against the Lord, the, the decision that that judgment leads you to is probably not the Lord. Be careful about the judgments that you make and the decisions that they lead you to, especially if they've caused you to be offended or bitter. It will never lead to his best for your life. She says, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took her wife, uh, his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Sometimes when we believe what God has said and we can't see how it's going to happen, we take the first thing that comes along that looks like it could possibly be God. And you know the truth of the matter is, it may produce fruit. It just won't be the fruit that he desires. It won't be the child of promise and the child of blessing. And sometimes we could be tempted. And, and here's the deal. Usually these opportunities are presented to us by people with good intentions that care about us and that want to see the thing that they know that God has promised us come to pass. See, if it was the devil and he came with like horns and was like, oh, why don't you do this? You know, you'd be like, get away from me, behind me, Satan, you know. It doesn't come that way usually. Like, it usually comes in a way, and it's a lot of times presented by somebody that genuinely loves you and cares about you and just wants to see you walk in what God has promised you. And so they come and they present you something. The problem is the Lord never said, sleep with your maidservant. The Lord said, I'm going to give you a child. And if the Lord promised to give you a child and didn't say anything about getting married again, then you probably can trust that the child's coming forth through the marriage that you already have. But here comes his wife in, in the goodness of her heart. And she's tired of waiting. It's been 10 years since this last promise. It's been a long time since the first promise. You know, the longer you go walking in what God's called you to, the easier it is for anything other than God to start making sense. Your friends will come. You've got friends. Look, Job had friends that came. The longer it went, the more it started to make sense to him what they were saying. Just curse God and die. They come to him the first day, he doesn't even entertain it. The, the last day, it starts to sound like maybe it's a viable option. That relationship gets strained. That child leaves. That job starts to get really hard. The first day someone comes and says, just, just give up. Here's an easy way out. You're like, get behind me, Satan. I know what the Lord has said. I am standing on his promises. But let it be 20 years later. Will you have that same conviction? See, we, if we're not careful, what started out here, we start wanting to walk towards that tent of human reasoning and understanding in wisdom, and we want to drag that promise in there and take the maidservant with us and think that the answer gets created in the place of doubt. You can't take Hagar into the tent and create the promise that you had to step outside of the tent to be able to believe. In 
and it's good people that care about him and love him that are telling him, just do this. Here's the problem. God never told him to do that. If the Lord gives you a promise and doesn't tell you the next step, then most likely what he wants you to do is to continue to wait and do what you've been doing when he came to you with the promise and wait for him to breathe and you'll see that thing come to life. But there's the other side. And that's this one. I've seen it. I, like before, before I, I go to the next one, the next one, if you turn your Bibles, you want to get there for extra credit. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. But I've seen it where, where people have done something that wasn't the Lord and it produced fruit. The problem was it wasn't the fruit that God had called them to produce. So for all the world, when Abram sleeps with Hagar and she becomes pregnant, it's very easy for them to think this must have been the right thing to do. Obviously, the problem is with Sarah not with Abram, because when Abram is with Hagar, look what happens. She gets pregnant. She brings forth a child. This must be what God wanted, because otherwise, how could it produce this fruit? Be really careful if something happening is validation that your disobedience is what the Lord actually wanted. Just let that one hang there for a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. We, we know that the Lord has promised to bless Abram. And, and some people get hung up on this. and They're like, oh, you know, it's, it's all about money. And it's, money's the least of God's blessing in the Bible, but it's what he's talking about when he said, I'm going to make you a wealthy nation, because he said, you will lend and never be the borrower. He's obviously not talking about salvation. He's obviously not talking about, you know, all the other blessings that he gives. He said, you will lend to other nations, but you'll never be the borrower. And so he was talking, he said, he said I'm going to give you this and I'm going to give you that and you're going to have plants and crops and houses and barns that are overflowing and all this stuff. So he's talking about physical blessing when he said that. And then he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Check this out. He says, but you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he. He's talking about bringing them into the land of promise. So, so he's made this promise that they will be a prosperous, wealthy nation and then he says this, he says, now remember when I bring you into this land, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I made a promise that I'm going to make you wealthy, but my answer isn't for you to sit and stare at those fields. It's the, actually the answer is me giving you the ability to go out and create the very thing that I promised you. So on one hand, you have Hagar, which is I'm going to do something to make something happen. On the other hand, you have sometimes people who say, well, if God wants it to be, it'll be, and do nothing that he's called them to do and expect that he's just going to rain this down somehow out of heaven. Here's the problem. The problem is, is if you're doing when he said to wait, and if you're waiting when he said to do, you might be experiencing something you shouldn't and not experiencing something you should and saying it's the Lord in both instances. How do you know? Here's how. You do what he asked you to do, and you don't do what he hasn't asked you to do. 
You take the responsibility for the things he gave you responsibility for, and you leave the responsibility for the things that he didn't give you responsibility for, and you trust him with the things that you can't do anything about, and you do the things that he's called you to do and trust that that's the way he's going to create it. He said it. He said, listen, I made a promise to your fathers, and I'm going to confirm the covenant. This is God. His word is a big deal. He said, I gave my word to your fathers, and I will make it happen, and here's how I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to give you the ability and the desire to go and do the very thing that will create that and make that come to be in your life. How do you know? There's only one way. I'll, I'll close up with this. We're running out of time. If you have an idea that whatever God wants, He will make happen, you could stand there and look at a field and wait for corn until you die of starvation. It's not going to grow until you take the seed which He provided and sow it. Can you make corn grow? No. It has to be the Lord. But guess what? He set it up in a way where when you do what you can do, he does what you can't do, and then the corn starts to grow. You, he says he provides seed for the sowing and bread for eating. In other words, there's crops that he wants you to harvest that he gives to you in the form of a seed. And then he says, now you go be faithful with this, and you do. Listen, you can't make corn grow. You can't. You can't make a corn kernel. Start from nothing and make a corn kernel. So we, don't never, we never get the idea that this is all about us. If he doesn't make corn, we don't have anything to sow into the ground. But he has invited us into so many things that he wants to do. And he says, listen, I'll give you the seed. You have to sow it. And then you have to water it. And then you have to harvest it. And guess what? Within that harvest, there will be stuff for you to eat, stuff for you to bless people with, and stuff for you to return back to the ground. And the trick is to know which is which. But you could stand there if you take the quesara, sarah, whatever will be, will be, and say, well, God promised that we're going to be wealthy, so we'll just stand here and wait for the wealth to fall out of the sky. They would still be standing there waiting for it to fall out of the sky because his answer was within the ability. On the other hand, Abram could have slept with 70 maidservants and never had the child of promise because the child of promise would only come by him patiently waiting for the Lord to do in Sarah's body what couldn't be done before that. And I, I just, I feel like in this, in this time that we're living in, it's super important that we ask ourselves, am I sleeping with Hagar and standing idly by the field? Am I doing things you never called me to do to try to make something happen on one hand, and am I standing around not doing the things you asked me to do and expecting you to do it on the other? And how do I know we need the wisdom that David was talking about? We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need to access the mind of Christ that we've been given and we need to hear his voice and then trust him and not force him to come into our tent and make it make sense, but step outside of our tent into his domain and believe him at his word. So Father, I pray right now, not a, 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 a ritualistic close the service prayer, God, but I pray and beg, God, would you give us ears to hear would you give us the spirit of, of wisdom and of revelation? God, you said, listen, I, I want to remind you guys of this. I, it was something Patty told me one time. We were talking about 
in James where it says, any of you that lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. And Patty and I were talking and she said, you know, you can ask God and he will give it, but you, can't, you don't get to choose where it comes from. And sometimes the wisdom that we need is hidden inside the person that rubs us the wrong way. Sometimes it's that, that teacher on, on, on TV that, we, that their voice drives us nuts. Or that some of their theology we're just not quite sure about. Sometimes the wisdom we need is hidden in unlikely places because we have to go and seek it out. He'll give it. That's all he promises. He doesn't promise how it comes. So that's why we need ears to hear. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom. God, we don't want to sleep with a single Hagar. We don't want to stand idly beside a single field. We want to put our hand to the plow where you call us to put our hand to the plow and stand back and watch where you tell us to stand back and watch. And we'll only know the difference by leaning on you and following the wisdom, the leading, and the guiding of your spirit. So God, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we would know and be obedient to what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.